Hey everybody and welcome to DCI number 37. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley. In this episode, Brian and I got to talk with Keith Lee of Counterplay Games, and we got to talk about a game that he's currently kickstartering uh, called Duelist, which is a uh, turn-based strategy multiplayer game that's heavily influenced by things like Hearthstone, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, Hero Academy, and other things like that, where you're competitively fighting other players um, in multiplayer games where each of you has, you know, a uh, set amount of time to, to do turns and, and things like that. Sounds really, really interesting. Has a fantastic art style. And uh, we just had, we had a great conversation about it. But I will stop talking about it, and I will let Keith talk about it. Now, if you want to find out more about DarkStation, you can do that at DarkStation.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DarkStation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, we are on iTunes or the DarkCast. While you're there, give us a review and let us know what you think of the show. And, uh, and finally, if you want to send us an email, you can do that at podcast at DarkStation.com. Now, if you want to find out more information about Keith Lee or Counterplay Games or The Duelist, then check out all the links in the show notes to this episode. As always, thanks for listening. Now on with the show. are you doing doing fantastic hey thanks so much for having me really excited thank you for being on it's it's a little bit of a change of pace for us we often get uh to talk to kickstarters that are just starting um or sadly they are you know halfway through their uh kickstarter and they're obviously not gonna make it and so when i got the uh the link to your kickstarter page and i opened it up and i was like yay we get to talk to somebody that's like super successful on this this is fantastic it's not gonna get dark because sometimes it gets dark and that's sad (laughs) yeah we were really really lucky we we um started uh we had a really good start and it's it was all because of all of our, a lot of our friends in, in the industry, and they, they helped to kind of help to push that out early on. So yeah. it helped us a lot. That And that that is awesome. I mean, you guys have, as of this recording, you've raised uh, a little over $90,000, which is just fantastic. So good on you guys. Uh, that's, that's really awesome. Um, Thank you. So if we could start off uh, by you just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do at um, Counterplay Games. Awesome. Well, I'll jump back a little bit. So, so basically, I grew up. I was born and raised in Hong Kong. I actually came here to the U.S. when I was 14, and afterwards, I ended up getting a computer science degree at Stanford, and I were, ended up working in investment banking. But I hated it. So, fortunately, in you some took the Adam way, Sessler path. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I just started to project myself looking forward 40 years and doing the same thing. And I love to read sci-fi books and fantasy. And I grew up on all these video games. And fortunately, Insomniac Games was kind enough to, to actually hire me. And I got to work on Ratchet & Clank uh, just when the PS2 was launching. So that was a really exciting time for the console time. I worked there as their lead game programmer, uh, building out literally, no joke, all of their weapons and designing and programming close to like 300 different weapons for Ratchet and Clank. It was really, really fun. And Well, thank you then, because I love those games. Oh, yeah. Which one was your favorite <laughs> weapon in Ratchet? Do you still oh, remember? Oh, gosh. Um, I always liked uh, the Groovatron. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, oh, the early ones. I, you know what? The... I can't even remember the name of it. Um, yeah, we it have was a the, lot. Uh, the razor blade one. The razor blade. The one that shoots a... at the, uh, the saw blades. Right, and then we have the the vacuum suck, the one that sucked the yes. vortex. We have the ones that shoot out the little AI bots that would come out and attack. Yeah, yes, worked on all of those. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome. So, yes. so that was a... go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say. So, what was your uh, your background before that? Then you said you you, know, you got brought on as a uh, a programmer, but you weren't doing programming 
before that. So no, I was where, doing where did you learn banking? To... So yeah. basically, I I worked on currency, foreign exchange trading, uh, proprietary trading, fixed income, equity, all that boring stock market stuff. But I had a really great time. It's 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 uh it's got a lot of math. It was really really fun. Got to program a lot of cool things in Excel, which is kind of crazy, and that was fun. Uh, but basically, after after Ratchet and working on three of their titles, I helped a little bit on Resistance Fall of Man. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet a bunch of guys over at Blizzard, and we had a chance to connect. And uh, I was able to join that amazing team at Blizzard to start work on Diablo 3. So that was about 2006. And I have to tell you, um, you know, I spent countless hours in college doing Mephisto runs muling, I mean, trading SOJs on eBay. So the opportunity to work on Diablo 3 was was like literally better than mana falling from the sky. I mean, it was just... <laughs> It was just a dream come true to to play Counter-Strike and Diablo 2 as my two big games in college and be able to actually work on a, the, the best ARPG out there. So that's a little bit about um, kind of my background. And then after that, I, I realized that the most important thing for, for me and working with other veteran guys was being able to forge our own destiny, being able to make a lot of our own choices for what we wanted to build. And so... Um, you know, just to give you a little bit of background, I mean, AAA studios are incredible, the quality, the money that's being generated, the the, the talent that's there. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, you, you constantly for a certain category, you have to match um, all the features for all the other ones. And it can sometimes become a massive arms race. And there's a lot of exploding budgets and so we wanted to do something opposite. We wanted to be independent. And so uh, we, we kind of decided to work on a game that we love. And I grew up on Final Fantasy Tactics, Fire Emblem, the original XCOM. And uh, we love competitive games as well. So we wanted to combine and marry competitive ladders, ranked play, um, along with squad-based tactics uh, into short sessions where you could play against other people. So that's really the origin of Duelist. Very cool. Um, now, before we, we, we get into that, though, where did you learn how to program? I actually started... With Excel? Or... <laughs> no, no. So that was a, after I graduated from college. I, I actually learned it pretty late. So I was a little bit indecisive when I was uh, at Stanford, and I actually started out with an econ and poli-sci degree, and that was partially because my parents wanted me to get into law or into into banking, and that was just sort of the thing to do uh, growing up in Hong Kong. Uh, but one of my friends said, "Hey, you should try out in round. Just try out this introduction computer science class." And so. I actually tried it. I fell in love with it. I had so much fun. I started to program small little games and trying it out. And uh, after that, I was like, man, I, I really want to go into the gaming industry and uh, be able to prototype and build cool stuff. And programming was like a really good way to get into the industry at the time. I think it was way, way harder to get in as a, a writer or a designer. And my art skills weren't, you know, aren't good. So uh, that was a really good path. Awesome. It's just, you know, listening to uh, kind of how you got in there. It's like, well, see, you you got in as a programmer, but it, it, where did you learn how to actually do that? <laughs> Being an investment banker. So anyway, uh, on from that. Um, uh, you guys are Counterplay Games. Uh, where are you actually located? We're based in San Francisco in Alamo Square, which is in the center. It's an old, old uh, area where even Full House was filmed with the five sort of uh, sister buildings there. And we have uh, a co-place with a secret product underground lab that they build a lot of uh, physical products. So we work really closely with those guys. That's how we're able to prototype some of our miniatures for our Kickstarter for some of our products. So it's really, really awesome. Uh, but yeah, we're based up in SF. Cool. Um, and... How many people do you actually have on your team? We have five right now. 
and we work with some contractors uh, for like music and things like that. So it's it's a lean, uh, very very veteran team, and we just want to make sure that the money that we raise with Kickstarter and stuff is just really there to to help pay for the contractors. We don't pay ourselves, and until um, you know we can launch the game. It's very awesome. honorable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long have you guys actually been working on um, Duelist? We got started last year, 2013, around September, October-ish. And then that's when I uh, just started pro- programming a prototype of the game. Uh, and prior to that, I had actually been working on uh, building out a really cool tabletop version of it. So that was the original Genesis. And then... Uh, played it with tons of people from a lot of different gaming companies. It was it was awesome because people would actually play it for hours, and we realized that we had something there. Then I started to program it, and then I uh, found some other cool guys to work on it that I knew from uh, back in the day, and um, that's the start. Very cool. So you started with the the tabletop back in September. No, or before, actually, we okay. we started on the tabletop around the summertime. Okay. And and so what was kind of cool was I literally just bought a a vinyl uh, sheet from from Amazon. I bought a bunch of miniatures, Pathfinder miniatures, and uh, started to make out some tokens and cards and printed them out. And then they just tried lots of different rules and game mechanics and stuff until we got to a point where, uh, as you said, you know sometimes there was a lot of math, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this would be the perfect game to, you know, bring over to. PC and, and also onto the web and now you can think about the meta game and, and think about the strategy instead of kind of trying to calculate all these numbers that are just done for you now. Awesome. Where'd you guys now like the first thing I looked when I watched the little movie and kind of started looking at a lot of the art, the first thing I thought of immediately, especially with kind of the the way uh the, the pieces kind of face off against each other um, was like ogre battle. Um, yeah. Is are you do you have direct control over everything that's going on? Yeah, you do. So the way it works is once you have units deployed onto the battle map onto that grid, you can click on any one of them, and you actually have a shared um, mana pool. Essentially, it's like an AP. We call we call them cores. But just imagine they're like a shared AP pool. So essentially, your AP can be used to deploy your units onto the battle map. Uh, they're used for moving and attacking with your units. Um, they're used for casting spells. So that way, you have to uh, make some compromises in terms of what you want to do to finish your turn. Uh, you can't just you have everything all at once. Exactly. So... Uh, you can basically, if your unit isn't exhausted uh, or you have enough mana, you can basically move your units and click on them. And it feels just like playing uh, Fire Emblem or, as you said, uh, Tex Ogre. And uh, I think that uh, we wanted to keep it actually very, very intuitive to those types of games. That's It definitely shows. Um, wh- okay. So hold on, let me try to mingle my way through words here. Uh, the 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 AP pool is shared amongst all your units. So do each de- I mean, are, are do each get more like a traditional like move and attack or move and action, or it's just you know you can take this guy and do a couple things with him if you want if you don't want to move everybody else, but you're sacrificing kind of that stuff. Yeah. So basically, once your unit is deployed onto the board it costs a certain amount of mana to to drop it onto the board um, when you deploy. And once it's on the board, there's a little bit of upkeep for you to be able to move the unit. So it still costs one mana for you to do a move attack. You can move attack or you can attack, but if you do just an attack, you won't be able to move away. So it prevents kiting and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then of course, every faction has faction-specific units. There's also faction-specific spells, but you can also complement your squad build with neutral mercenaries, neutral spells, and other things uh, to essentially build out your deck um, when you when you play it. So there's a lot of randomness um, 
pseudo-randomness when you kind of have your initial starting set of moves and things like that. But the combat resolution itself is deterministic. So we don't have damage ranges. We don't have percentage crits or dice rolls. Basically, when you do an attack, you are very, very clear if you're going to be able to kill that guy or not. You know beforehand that's part of the, the strategy experience. That's right, yeah, because we want to avoid issues where you're playing competitively and people will say, hey, you know, I could have won, but you just did some ridiculous 2% chance crit, and uh, there's just like, like, what are the chances of that happening? So we want to kind of avoid some of those issues, and that's why it, it plays a little bit more like uh, chess in the sense that it's very clear what your moves are, but there's a lot of randomness in it because of you won't know what, uh, the, your opponent's squad build is, nor will you know what their starting opening moves will be. Now you made you made mention to mm-hmm. to like having a deck, and uh, yeah, I know in the it kind of in the pitch on the Kickstarter, um, you mentioned you know Hearthstone, and by that means you know by that I'm guessing at some point here there's also you know kind of almost like a magicy thing going on as far as the strategy and 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 the building. Um, where where are we are we do we get a do we start with like a starter deck and then where do we get our pieces or our, our people from there? Okay, so <clears throat> so the way that it kind of works right now is it depends on what mode you're playing. So if you're going to be playing ranked competitive normal mode, uh, prior to going into the game session, you will be selecting your faction and then afterwards you'll be picking, for example. Uh, faction-specific units and spells. And of course, as mentioned before, you could pick neutral spells and mercenary units to complement your squad. Uh, there's no restriction on the ratio between units and spells, and there's going to be an upper bound of 25 total units and spells per custom squad. So prior to that, uh, you pick them, you go in, and then after that, you actually have an action bar at the bottom. So there's six slots, and those get uh, drawn from your squad build, and then those are the ones that you can use. And each of them, of course, have their own set of mana cost, their attack, their HP, and stuff like that. So you can now bring them onto the board or cast spells. Uh, so there's just an infinite number of variations and synergies um, based on like how you want to combine um, the 100-plus units that we have. So you get your choice out of everything. Yes, but you do have to pick your faction first, and then they have okay, faction-specific so that... units. So, for example, every faction will have seven classes that are shared across all the different factions. So you'll have an assassin, a guardian, a support class, and things like that. And the assassin thematically will be shared across all the different factions. So they would generally have higher DPS or damage. They'll have a above average movement range and they'll have um, kind of lower defense and kind of have the iconic prototypical glass cannon um, mm-hmm. vibe to them. And so, but they'll all, all the assassins though will have unique abilities. So for example, the Songhai assassin has an ability, ability a unique ability called transcendence what that does is it allows that unit to be able to get an additional action if they're able to kill an enemy on the same turn. So you can essentially chain uh, multiple attacks if you know how to do it properly. Uh, in contrast, the other assassin on the Leonar kingdom doesn't have transcendence, but have an, they have their own unique ability. Um, in this case, it's called uh, it's called Twin Strike. And so this guy has twin blades and he's actually able to strike simultaneously two enemies within attack range so he could be really really awesome based on how you position your guy hope that was helpful yeah okay um it, it, it was how many factions are we looking at so right now we have five factions and if if we hit our next stretch goal uh at hundred and ten thousand. Uh, we're going to be able to get a six. So we're pretty pumped about that, and we'll be able to have more units and and different thing abilities. And every single unit is unique. I mean, different animations, uh, a different concept, uh, unique ability for each one, and different stats. Is there is there a place in Duelist for a non-Duelist? Uh, somebody, you know, is there something that I could do by myself if I was waiting for somebody, if I was waiting for friends, um, oh, or if yeah. other people scare me? Totally, totally. <laughs> I, I think that uh, that's one of the the key things to get people 
acclimated and, and get a sense of mastery is we actually have four different modes for the game. We have a single player mode where you can just practice and challenge yourself against the computer AI. And so depending on our stretch goals and if we're able to hit them, we might be able to build out a really cool campaign. But the whole idea of the single player is really for you to earn and unlock like new units and spells, but also learn to understand how they all work. So a, a really great analogy might be Plants vs. Zombies, where we'll have a particular uh, challenge and you might only have a limited number of units and spells, but it just allows you to learn how to use them before we introduce a new unit or a new spell, uh, just kind of like PVZ. Um, we also have a second mode called Practice Casual, and the idea of that one is that it's not ranked. You don't have the pressure of thinking that you have a ranking for this. And what's really nice about this mode is that there's no time limit to the length of your turn. So it's essentially like playing a asynchronous play-by-email or play-by-mail game. So now there's no pressure of like, oh, oh, I have to like make my move in 90 seconds and play competitively. So this is a great way for people to now jump from single player to actually play with a live person and to play with someone course we still continue to do really really good matchmaking so even though there's no ranking we'll still try to place you with people that are just starting out and then you feel pretty comfortable to play and introduce new you know items and new spells and things like that now when you feel like you've achieved a certain level of mastery we have the two competitive ladders which is ranked normal and ranked draft so ranked normal basically each player would create their own custom squad prior to the battle. You can have some custom you know, squads that you pre-built. And the big difference with this one is, of course, you're ranked. And number two, each turn will last 90 seconds in multiplayer head-to-head. -head. So it's synchronous, it's live. Um, you know, you got to finish the session or else you kind of lose or default. And of course, the fourth mode is, is ranked draft. So this one is really cool because... Um, you can actually form your own battle squad from the entire collection of units and spells that are available in the game. So basically for the people who don't want to do the progression, who don't want to unlock all the stuff, they can hop right into draft mode and uh, essentially you're given a set of different types of cards and you have to pick them and you create a custom draft deck where now you can play competitively with that. So it's very similar to Hearthstone Arena. Okay, where you got to pick everything first, and then you're you're given that. That's right. So this okay. is like a perfect kind of blend where I think, as as you're kind of saying, uh, we want to introduce people slowly to the game, um, achieve a certain level of mastery, but we have a lot of high end expert kind of modes and ladders for people. There's there's a lot of depth for people who want to dig into it. <clears throat> That's right. Absolutely. Now you mentioned something uh, as with the practice casual and, and being able to kind of do it asynchronously. Um, mm. Almost the play-by-email kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, are you able to handle multiple kind of games at once? Yes, yes. So in practice casual, you'll have essentially multiple games that are running, and you can hop into each of those sessions and, and kind of go play. And the reason why we don't want to make this ranked and uh, we don't want to make this the primary mode is that we, we want people to be able to focus on one game because... The thing is, I think maybe you guys might have the same experience. I might play, I don't want to play 15 games and then one of the guys comes back literally five days later to submit his turn. And I go back to it and I'm like, dude, I don't remember my layout. I don't remember my strategy, what's going on here at 50 games. So, and a lot of people, of course, will tend to also, if they know they're going to lose, instead of just defaulting, they just let that thing sit forever. So... Uh, we oh, want to avoid okay. that. And, of course, you know, there's ways to say, hey, if you haven't touched it in seven days or three days, you basically default. But we don't want to add that pressure now for people. They just want to play casually. So um, we really want to move towards, like, a live game where people are actually, like, really thinking about it. And one of the innovations that uh, is really cool for our game is that even when your opponent is playing, uh, you can see what they're looking at because – their mouse cursor, when they're hovering over your units, you can actually see what they're highlighting. So um, you could do a lot of really cool strategies here because now you're really engaged because you kind of want to know what your opponent's going to do. You're not going to go run off to the bathroom or go get a coffee because you kind of want to see what they're looking at because if they're looking at a bunch of your units that's near your general, maybe they're going to go attack those guys on the next turn and things like that. So 
but or maybe they're just not they're just trying to bluff you and they're going to do something else so those are the type of things that we want to do uh, in our game I think that's going to be much more fun and engaging that sounds that sounds great um, how'd you guys get to this um, get to the look was it uh, did did you always start, like, obviously you went from, you, you grabbed, you know, when you were doing the, the tabletop stuff, you started with, like, the Pathfinder miniatures, and that's yeah. all. that That's your pretty standard fantasy. Um, right. Was that, was that always the plan to kind of build on it from there? Um, was there ever a point, um, or, or, you know, are there, uh, you know, like, kind of steampunky slash, right. um, yeah, you know, like, like uh, almost like gun squads or something in there? Like how how fantasy do we get here? Because I watched that video and there were a lot of angry fantasy people in that video. <laughs> uh, so the way that we kind of approached the concepts and the design was first of all we wanted to have a serious world in the sense that it it, it was a living breathing world where people are actually in this kind of tournament where it's similar to Hunger Games. It's not a it's not a uh, you know, there aren't a lot of jokes or it, it's just it's like a more of a serious kind of vibe to it. At the same time, um, we wanted to do something that was melee. There was a lot of really cool sort of melee fantasy uh, aspects to it. But we didn't want to still use a very Tolkien elves and, and sort of like a D&D kind of vibe because it's been overplayed. So we wanted to add... Uh, a little bit of technology, a little bit of sci-fi to it. We wanted to give it a little bit of an anime comic book look, but it still felt serious. But we didn't want to actually do steampunk because we kind of felt that it wasn't um, the right fit for this product. So, mm-hmm. so essentially, we just wanted to create really, really cool units. And actually, every single faction is has also some um, traces to our world's um, historical ancient civilizations. So we wanted to also draw back to um, different regions and areas of the world that we are, we're personally inspired by um, from reading history and stuff like that. So the Vitruvian Empire is really kind of very uh, Renaissance and um, very technology focused. And for example, the uh, you know the Songhai Empire is much more Eastern. And uh, a lot of the fans have actually noticed uh, that they're, every single unit's actually based off of the Chinese zodiac. So every single creature actually represents an animal, and you can actually even see an emblem of the animal on their concept art, plus the characters. So those are those type of things that we really want to spend a lot of time to to develop, and we wanted to make everything look just badass and unique and and really cool, like it's fresh. So just just out of curiosity, what what portion of history did the detachable detachable bladed spider legs come from? <laughs> the, the, which uh, which one are you? Oh, There's are you a, talking yeah. about? Well, so this one's the tiger. Are you talking about the Songhai Bloodborne General? Possibly. I know he's got he's got two Doctor Octopus legs coming out of the back, and he throws them at yeah. somebody, and they die. <laughs> yeah, so so basically this guy is super interesting because he's actually represents the tiger. We felt like it would be a very strong leader of any of the zodiac animals. And if you kind of look carefully at the concept art, it, it's a, it's feline, kind of has like really really he's not super buff, but he kind of has he he can spring like his his thighs are are pretty like much like a like a tiger, but kind of has the Bruce Lee sort of like really um, musculature. And you'll notice that there's actually stripes on his armor and the jawline actually has the jaws of a, of a cat. And then so what we wanted to do was his abilities is meditation. So actually what he does is... Wait, 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 (laughs) wait. The dude with the crazy arms and big blades, his ability is meditation? Yes, because he's a uh, he's super zen. <laughs> he's zen. <laughs> he's the you leader. can afford to be zen when you're wielding that kind of power. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's super zen. He uh, he's able to have uh, improve his HP if he doesn't do a move action that turn, and so that's why he's in the uh, kind of the namaste sort of like position. But at the same time, I think when people start to look at the artwork, they're like, "Oh, is that his arms?" But you're like, "Oh." Actually, those are just actually are those wings? But no, those are um, 
another set of arms that he's so he's a quadruple welder so that's why he's got two swords at the bottom and two on the top yep yes and we also made a miniature for him and so I, that's what I was looking that's the part i was looking at because i i mean especially on the miniature you could really see not only the detail but like where you're you know kind of where the 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 things you highlighted with the the tiger portion of that are coming in mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. like the uh the the jawline and that the uh, the fangs and that kind of thing but yeah man, my eyes are just drawn straight to those extra arms that's scary i, I don't want the ow yeah we had a lot of fun developing him we wanted to continue to make like really unique stuff stuff that has machinery technology but at the same time a lot of melee weapons we didn't want to use guns uh we kind of wanted to avoid that that kind of level of technology absolutely you want them to get to get down into it yep and these guys these guys look like they're getting down into it i'm scrolling through all the okay man I like these. Uh, what are these? The, uh, the lion yeah, I could arm. go on and on about these guys. They're they're all pretty they're, cool. They're so. They look they look great. <laughs> and I, I mean I really the the art style especially it's very uh, it's it's almost like and and I don't mean this to be derivative um, or to say that you know like it was coming from this but and it is in in the most complimentary way possible. This is very almost super giant um, mm. and like very like bastion almost. It just mm-hmm. the uh, the color palette and the aesthetic, and it just it looks like almost like old and yet like super uh, just like tight. Yeah, I, I think that having uh, worked at on Ratchet, having worked on all the games on uh, at uh, helping to work on a lot of the games at at Blizzard, we we really always want to still continue to stylize stuff and. Uh, have a really broad range in terms of the color palette, and I'm I think glad that's you guys are not afraid of color because that's that's probably the easiest trap to get stuck in. Yeah, because I think that you know sometimes when people say let's make it dark and things, sometimes it, you, when you have such a limited palette, it could also depress the player because you're kind of looking at it and it looks really dark and dismal, which is fine for certain games, right? But we we wanted to make um, everything really pop out, make it exciting and vibrant and like just everything felt like it'll capture your eye when you looked at it that's why a lot of our wallpapers and a lot of our landscapes if you scroll down um they 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 look really really exciting and fun and cool to to be part of this world yes leave it at that yes it does oh man okay sorry i'm just i'm I'm finally getting to some of the this bottom art here now that i kind of have the understanding where some of this is coming from and it's just you guys did a real nice job i can understand why you are why why you've met your kickstarter goal already (laughs) appreciate (laughs) it congratulations yeah no it looks yeah Uh, jonathan say something because i'm gonna i'm gonna keep gushing over this stuff okay so i was just letting you go because you know far more about these types of games than i do I, i i like to just hit stuff with a sword or shoot it in the head so yeah uh, anyway, uh, one of the things, um, you know, you've got the, uh, single player mode, um, and one of the things that actually really caught my eye was the kind of promise to not just be another generic fantasy game, and I think you're definitely delivering on that from, um, kind of what we've just been talking about, especially with the art style and, uh, kind of pulling from history for these different, uh, factions, mm-hmm. but is there, like, a story mode to go through at all? Yeah, you know, this, we actually have written a lot and developed the the background. So even though you're just seeing a very thin slice of the game visually and everything else, it's kind of a little bit like the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to spend too much on exposition either. So a lot of it is inferred, but it's re- actually really well thought out. The, the question is always how can we best present um, this information and the story and things like that. And... You know, having worked on uh, Diablo and all these other great games, um, you can't... Okay, well, so there's two reasons why um, I'm going to bring this up. So the first one is uh, building out single-player content can be endless. Like, it could literally take uh, a year just to develop all the content for it. Mm-hmm. And since we're a super, super small uh, company and we're not paying ourselves, really, um, we really wanted to focus on taking um, 
a multiplayer approach because we, we really want the longevity of the game to last because people want to play this all the time competitively. And so uh, taking, you know, if you look at like Hearthstone or even Counter-Strike, they don't have any story per mm -hmm. se, but um, people love that game still. And, and that's those are just some of the compromises that we decided to take very early on, uh, making those kind of decisions. And not, as mentioned before, not trying to do an arms race and trying to match everything that's out there and how we can differentiate our... But secondly... Uh, you know, building out single-player content is hard because if you're going to make it primarily multiplayer, the way that you kind of tune the units, the way that you kind of create the progression is very different. So, for example, if you're playing Final Fantasy Tactics, like if you kind of really dig into the design, it's really a gating system where you basically level up and progress and um, level up your guy until you get to a point where you can defeat the boss. Then you go into the next story gate and you keep going on to the next like act essentially and it's the same thing with diablo mm -hmm. and when you tune the the your your guys like that it, they just will not work in multiplayer because you want to make sure that all the units work properly without any upgrades without any progression and so we kind of designed it that way and it's very hard to have a multiplayer and single player products that's part of the reason why a lot of tactics games they just focus on single player and they'll tack on a multiplayer but very people actually play the multiplayer because um, it's tuned for single player. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Sorry if that was like really extended. No, that, that was <laughs> great. I really wanted to give you kind of a game developer. No, no, that, that's that's perfect. That's that's awesome. Um. So, how are you trying to convey the the universe besides just like art style and stuff like that? Then, because. I, so, I feel like it could be pretty easy to slip into, well, you know, this is your mage character. This, I guess, kind of how are you trying to, to differentiate it? So uh, we would like to do a single-player campaign. I think that if we had more resources, one of the things that we're also doing is working with some really fantastic potential writers in the science fiction fantasy genre to write short story vignettes around some of the characters, why they're actually going to this grand tournament and why everyone is um, heading there and sort of what the setting is. Is this in the future? Why is the technology there? A lot of these things that we've actually spent a lot of time to, um, to write and to explain, mm -hmm. um, it's just more about how we want to present it. So, uh, to answer your story, I mean, to answer, uh, we want to start out with some vignettes to have, a lot of the lore. I get, a really great example is um, if you play World of Warcraft, uh, if you go onto their website, they actually have this insane um, history of of, of uh, the entire world, and it goes back, you know, ten, twenty thousand years before. And if you actually want to read everything, it's like all there, and it's so good, and it's such great reading material. Um, but that's the sort of thing that we want to do is potentially put a lot of that stuff in there and then slowly expose it into the game, depending on the success of the game and the multiplayer. Very cool. Um, now, another thing that kind of caught my attention is you guys are building this for uh, Mac and PC, and you met your first stretch goal, and so it's also going to be coming to Linux, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and actually you'll also work on And then web. browsers, yeah. So yeah. so what's it kind of been like working... Um, Working on browsers, because uh, we've talked to a couple different people uh, more on the, the kind of technology side, building the technology to allow people to play games in browsers. Mm -hmm. um, what, what's that been like, kind of building a, a game that I guess you would you know, generally think of as being something that you would you know, download through Steam or whatnot and load right. up and, and play? What, what's it been like uh, making it for browser? So when we first started making this game... Uh, one of the things I wanted to do when I was programming it was to make sure that I could send someone a build of the game very easily or if someone wanted to test out the game because this is a primarily multiplayer game. So I actually have to have a lot of people play it to kind of look at issues with the balance and things like that. And so I actually built it to work on the web first. And so our entire team now is, is uh, three amazing programmers and I actually don't program as much anymore but the thing is um, we built it to work on modern browser like Chrome and Firefox without using any plugins so we actually don't use unity 
We don't use Flash. Um, you can literally just load up our URL and log in and play this on a tab on any browser. Because our goal was for you to be able to play on the PC, but then if you wanted to be at work and just open a tab, you could still play this anytime. So we wanted that convenience and just, you know, to have people uh, play it and make it really sticky. So um, in terms of answering your question about technology, um, there's actually the technology for the web has been growing just phenomenally quickly. So building out a lot of the UI panels and the widgets and stuff was really easy. And now there's a lot of really great ways for you to port your web game um, in this level of quality uh, back to PC, Linux, and, and the Mac. Uh, so we kind of went the reverse than the, uh, what most other people do. Mm-hmm. So if you're making it for web where anyone can play it anywhere, mm-hmm. Yeah, why why make a PC Mac and Linux version? Oh well, because the the way we kind of see it, it's it's really about distribution as well. Okay. So yeah, web is awesome and it's it's very easy to get to. But uh, you know, the moment that I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. The moment that you sit down on your PC and you see a game that's on Steam, uh, it's it's a different mindset. You're going to open up the game. You're not going to be distracted. This is the game that you're going to be playing. You're not going to get interrupted by other people um, on a web browser or anything else. So I think that it was good in terms of getting people to focus on one game that they really like. But also, secondly, uh, distribution. I mean, the fact that you see it on Steam uh, validates the game a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it also means that uh, other people are going to play it and, and then you're, you'll get more excited. So... I think that, of course, and we'll be able to sell potentially a lot more copies that way. Yeah, it's definitely been shown that you put stuff on Steam, and it's uh, that you know immediately you're going to get that that recognition, and 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 people are going to feel almost more comfortable buying it. I mean, I yeah. know that, <clears throat> especially recently, uh, you know, there's been stories out there of people that have tried to do even give away free games that weren't on Steam. And the first question they get is, "How do I put this on Steam?" Yeah, and <laughs> so I mean, that's, you're, all... you're definitely yeah, you're not you're not doing anything wrong by doing that. <laughs> and I, and I, those are literally our core, core, core gamers. Like those are the guys like me. I go on to Steam to play the really good games, and uh, people expect that. And while like on the web, I have no idea like why they would play it. A lot of people are casual, and I'm really, really want the hardcore gamers to play this, and it has to be on Steam for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. So you guys, you guys have run, you have run a successful Kickstarter. Now, obviously, with Kickstarter, the way that goes is uh, you don't get anything until the Kickstarter is actually over. Um, <laughs> what what kind of prep did you guys do go uh, to getting into this to to get to this point? Um, I you know you started. You kind of said there was a lot of a lot of word of mouth by the fact that you got a lot of industry friends and you know, you, especially you've been uh, around the block with, with some great people. Um, what, what'd you do beforehand before the Kickstarter started to kind of like cement the base, the foundation that you were going to build on? So the most important thing for me was having a very, very good, uh, balanced, uh, robust game mechanics and game core game rules, because this is a tabletop game and it has to work really well. So I, I literally would go to all my friends at different game companies and uh, grab dinner and would pull out my the tabletop product and then, then we would play it. And then I would actually kind of see how they played the game. So I'd, I'd have people who spend a lot of time playing Warhammer all the way to uh, having built a lot of des- and designed board games. And so, so that's a lot of the prep time because it's very difficult to design and program a game at the same time because there's so much work um, to program something. So being able to have a prototype tabletop and actually develop the rules without a lot of extra cost was huge for us. Um, And also because we're indie, we wanted to um, own, like, you know, our entire company. Uh, We didn't want to find a publisher or investor um, anytime soon. Uh, That changed our scope. So we had to have... We had to think about um, who I could work with that could program. So all of us are programmers, and we kind of built it with very minimal cost 
and then um, also worked with really great artists that, and, and, and then eventually kind of drew some of these guys in. So we started last September to actually program it. And then afterwards, uh, we, you know, spent our own money uh, to continue to make this look the way it is for the Kickstarter. So we're kind of pretty, you know, negative in terms of how much money we kind of spent already. So the Kickstarter is going to really help us so that the next, you know, nine months, uh, it would be, we'll be able to finish the game and, you know, not have to spend another, you know, hundred $150,000 out of pocket, you know, so, cause we really want to make a great game. And of course, now that expectations are higher too, uh, we, we just want to get the best sound effects and the best visuals for everything. So that's kind of so how we do it with the, I mean, you know, I, again, not to, not to harp on it. Um, but you guys have you you've kind of made you've made your Kickstarter goal. Is that a weight off your shoulders, or you know, when you talk about now that the stakes are even higher um, because people are expecting something, is that just has that you know the fact that you now are going to have the money? Does that become even kind of heavier? Well, I think that the money is is just absolutely incredible because it does reduce a lot of pressure. But um, I think that uh, as a developer. Even raising, let's say, a hundred thousand um, dollars, if you kind of look at a AAA title, uh, I mean, oh yeah, that's, are, that's a drop are, in the bucket. Yeah, I mean, that's like hiring one programmer for, and you know, Diablo team was like over a hundred people, Ratchet's over a hundred. I mean, it's it, it's expensive to make these games, but I mean, the moment that you see a game like this, you kind of then equate it to a super crazy AAA title. So I think the expectations are pretty high. And, uh, but we can definitely meet, meet that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, every, every dollar counts and the more money we have, is just going to be, um, definitely better for sure. But it's, it's really at the minimum to kind of build that. And I think, uh, a lot of other Kickstarter guys, uh, the pressure is pretty intense because once you get that money, um, it's also, you have to spend a lot of time to, really uh, communicate with your backers and your fans and really make sure that um, they feel really invested because they, they, they were willing to believe in you um, very early on, put put their money down for it. So we want to make sure they're all super happy. So that's what motivates us at the end of the day. Uh, what kind of things do you have planned for the, uh, for the backers? For the backers, so we've been trying to reward everyone that – Anyone that's a backer, uh, one of the coolest rewards that we did is uh, this week we announced a complete bonus reward for Kickstarter backers is a official Rogue Legacy crossover alternate skin. So, um, you know, working with the Celador Games guys, um, I think if you kind of take a peek um, up on the top of our Kickstarter, you can actually see a slightly grown-up version of the Paladin Knight. And it's a Rogue Legacy skin, and it's really awesome. I think that uh, that's one of the things that we did. And actually, this week, um, we also announced a uh, Doge uh, Shiba Inu alternate skin for the <laughs> Songhai Empire. So if you kind of look at it, it's it's like a freaking she, uh, Shiba, but uh, got the really cool badass arms, knife arms. <laughs> so if you scroll down... And what's even cooler is it's, it's like, wow, much danger, so intimidating, right? Oh. And then, <laughs> so dualist, so dualist. And so, so basically, uh, we gave that as a bonus reward as well for anyone who just did the lowest tier for the game. Uh, so those are the type of things that we want to, you know, thank people for supporting us early on. And what's really cool is that because of the Doge thing, we ended up creating this thing called Doge Starter. And basically, any um, so our game now can accept Dogecoin as a pledge uh, for our game. And because it's been doing pretty well, um, we actually are now letting other we're, we're making it open source, so anyone can use this service. Other indie developers or even non-game guys can now use this to um, for pledging um, using the Doge using Doge coins, which is really cool. So we kind of want to give back to the community, and we've kind of offered that to other indie guys now. That's awesome. I have no yep. words. 
So it's actually called duelist.dogestarter.co. So yeah, you can you can literally check it out. No joke. And oh wow, that's that's amazing. Um, <laughs> so uh, looking at the uh, your stretch goals uh you got some pretty awesome things that you guys are hoping to be able to do you know if you get um if you meet these goals on the on kind of your side of it how did you actually go about figuring these out it's like okay you know if we get you know twenty thousand more dollars you know we can do linux support if we get you know fifty thousand more dollars we can uh that'll give us enough time to do a a new faction like how, how did you actually come up with so, so for example, dollar like the, amounts and what the stretch. So, goal for example, um, we actually even haven't put up some of our other stretch goals. We're actually going to put that tonight or tomorrow, uh, for because a lot of people have been asking about what other platforms you can get it on. People want it on PS4, Xbox One, Vita. Like, there's just like so many different variations, mobile tablets. Um, so, what we do is that for those platforms. We actually, at GDC last week, we spent some time talking to Sony or some of these other guys so that we can get a really rough sense and talk to other developers how much it would really cost. Because ultimately, it's hiring another programmer to come and help um, focus on that particular platform. So I'll give you an example. The short story compendium, the plus 15K, Mm-hmm. That's really just to commission and find really great writers to then write and pen some really good vignettes around the world. Um, the better AI, we we knew that that's how much money it would cost to hire this guy that I know um, that is just one of the best machine learning guys to help us um, develop even better AI that will actually look at custom trends on the ladder and things like that. It's really cool. So. Um, with the factions and all that, we just kind of add up how much it will cost to develop the artwork, the animations, the sound, um, how much time it will cost us um, to accelerate the design. Um, if we should, if we should we talk to other designers and things like that to kind of develop them. Mm-hmm. So we really try to keep them really narrow and tight uh, for all of these things and, and kind of just add them all up. Um, so that's that's kind of where we're at. And we'll try to round, round it up a bit because... It's nice to have round numbers, I think. So we're not going to go, you know, $114,500 or something. (laughs) Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, even with the sort of stretch goals, we also try to make sure that we can – we we might switch the uh, the stretch goals around a little bit because we also want to keep the numbers – like realistic so that people feel motivated to back the next you know goal and to it's hard it yeah to keep it going um and it, it, you can't have really large jumps uh based on the velocity of your kickstarter but at the same time it has to be really accurate so mm-hmm. sometimes we have to move those around and say hey do people really want the new faction yeah you know do people want the short story not as much let's put that up higher so that now people can really aim for the thing that they wouldn't want i mean of course everyone wants more stuff but people want the factions they, they may not want the short stories so sure that that makes complete sense yeah yeah, I was like learning, you know, kind of more the the insider stuff of of Kickstarters, um, because from the outside, it 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 almost kind of seems like magic how everything works together, um, but it, it's always kind of it's cool to find out stuff like that. Yeah, so. it's like the cute duck on the on on the pond, but like frantically swim, like paddling with his with his feet or something underwater. <laughs> yes. It. Exactly. Cool under pressure like a duck on water. Oh, yeah. This <laughs> is a cute, happy yellow duck. Yeah. A doge on water. Oh, good one. So calm. Much, much, much wow. Much, much <laughs> so calm. Much frantic. Yeah. Exactly. Very speed. Yeah, very speed. Um, all right. Uh, uh, with that, do you got anything else, Jonathan? I, I think I'm. I think, we... I, I think I'm done with Doge jokes. I don't <laughs> think I can do else, so let's go ahead and do the end game. All right. Well, we like to end with something we call the end game. It's a. Uh, it's a little. It's a six question uh, questionnaire, um, based off of the uh, uh, inside the actor studio with James Lipton and a little questionnaire he does at the end. 
Um, so uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start. Uh, it, it's it's more kind of personally based towards you. Um, you know, uh, give your answer. They get harder as they go. Um, question number one. Um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Oh, I love it when they oh start breathing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Let's see. Um... I'm still thinking. Hold on. I honestly have to say, I. Hmm. I'm. I'm actually digging. Probably my my most recent game that I've really enjoyed is is Witcher Two. So I've been playing that nonstop. So I would have to say um, that and. I've only played through it once, but uh, just on a side note, I've been talking to some developers, and um, this is on a total side tangent. But basically, um, when you're when people are developing this type of game, they usually like to have multiple stories, and then they'll branch out, and then of course they'll kind of corral you back to the center and kind of route you back to the same storyline and gate you. But um, basically, I heard that if you kind of go one direction in Witcher 2, you'll never, never, you may never see even half of the content in there. And just the fact that they were able to do it that way is just mind-blowing to me. So, anyway. Yeah, I wouldn't say half the content, but the entire mid-section of the game is different, uh, depending on a choice that you make in the first chapter. Uh, The big question will be, in Witcher 3 if what you did in Witcher 2 is going to reflect immediately in the beginning. That would be insane. That's, you know, that is a question I've been entertaining for a long time. And with like 16 different endings, I I don't know if they can. <laughs> I know, I know. If anybody can do it, it's, it's CD Red. Yeah, maybe that's what they needed the extra, you know, six months or so for. Yeah. They yeah. wanted to write all those beginning sections to the game. <laughs> all right, next one. So hold on. So so favorite protagonist. We're putting that down as uh, Geralt. Yep. All right. All right. Flipping the coin. Favorite antagonist. Go. Ooh, favorite antagonist. Wow, you guys got to help me with this one. <laughs> Um, hmm. I, mean, I don't know. I've you know, never actually had to think of the, these questions, so we just ask them. We're we're evil I, that I, way. My and I've, uh, I've gone on record as this before, especially when my my own wife gave me this quiz um, to see how I would fare under it. Uh, my favorite antagonist is Kefka from uh, Final Fantasy VI. Nice, nice. Yeah. Uh, I I I like a uh, a protagonist who is uh, an antagonist rather who is sure of what he's doing is able to succeed and only fails because not only did he take over the world, but then he got too greedy. Hmm. Yeah, that one's a really rough one for me. I'm trying to... Um... I'm, I'm going to go you with know, uh, Saren if, if I'm going to answer these questions. I'm going to go with Saren from Mass Effect 1. All right. I, I, uh, I have to say that I really enjoyed Dishonored, so... So I would say that uh, I did not see that coming at the end when uh, when they had the ah, I forgot his name, but basically, did you guys play Dishonored? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so I, I didn't see that coming when when they kind of switched it all around and uh, he came back. I I thought that the game was gonna end and then they had that extra last level, so that was mm-hmm. really cool. So you're talking about the uh, the military leader guy? Yeah, I, I was just cool that we can kind of go back and get him. And I had so much yeah. fun going into his room and killing him when he was going up the uh, up in the before he if you if you can sneak in and stealth without uh, getting caught, then you could just basically kill him in his bedchamber. It's really cool. Nice. I will accept it. Done. Um, third question: What's your uh... <clears throat> Pardon me. What's your what's your least favorite um, uh, trend or trope in gaming? What would you be happy with, oh, uh, with going away? So I've been 
I think that I I'm I I love roguelikes, but I think that there's just been an onslaught of kind of everyone. Okay, I love roguelikes, but people love to add that as a buzzword for every game now. So they'll go mm-hmm. X Y Z subtitle and plus plus roguelike and adventure game, and then you're like, really? Like, so I think that that's a a really overused term these days. Uh, the other problem is also survival games now. I think a lot of them add survival in there, and and it's it, it's there's very few that are really truly super survival. Mm-hmm. But I think those are trends that I do worry about because I love survival games. You know, I play Rust twenty hours a week. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> not a problem. Okay, next question: favorite class or rather job from Final Fantasy Tactics? Wow. Um, Nip me. Actually, you know, I I enjoyed the the samurai. Let me look up. Let me look up. Uh, okay, let me look it up right now because I want to recall the actual different classes. I think there was like this time one too, right? There was. There was a. Uh, there was a chrono master. Uh, what's uh, it called? Yeah, there was. A, it, there was a time wizard. I think it was just a time mage. Um, yeah, because there was uh, white, black, time, and. Calculator. Well, the calculator was like the mat. He was when you uh, when you got all four of the mage classes done, you unlocked the, the calculator, and he could use spells from all the different schools. Yeah, I I for some reason I really liked using the samurai ninjas because I really love trying to get the best um, weapons and swords for them. Yes. Yeah. They were really hard to get, but they are so so good, so good. Especially and if you did I, the ninja samurai with the dual wielding the katanas, yeah. Yeah, and I hate all the healer kind of classes because you have to basically spend hours and hours, like you know, getting to the last thing and then moving your guy up to level that healer up. So. Yeah, I used to I, I used to keep people in the back, um, like mm-hmm. almost two healers together, and I'd take one round and have them smack each other. Because that would build job points, and then the next round I'd have them heal each other while my other dudes were doing other stuff. I know, so crazy. Yeah, but yeah, okay, I'll, I'll accept that. All right. Um, <laughs> final, uh, not final question. Uh, nope. Fifth question: um, If you could do anything else, no restrictions, what other profession would you like to try? I would. Hmm. I think the. I, this sounds a little bit crazy, so I don't want it to come off crazy. But I, I really like um, – I'm really into building uh, rifles and guns. So I would love to spend some time to actually develop uh, new pieces for rifles and make them look really cool. Like they're like from District 9 or kind of more sci-fi Mass Effect guns. But they're real, real rifles that work. So it would be really cool. I think there's a lot of, it's an underserved uh, space to make really cool looking guns that look like basically Lamborghinis, but, uh, you know, they're, they're still military spec. So anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, dude, I, I love building uh, building guns. So Keith Winchester Lee, you heard it here first. Very, very cool. Um, final question. Um, at the end of our lives, uh, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is there with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you? If it's, if it's especially because of the, it's the Mushroom Kingdom or just in general? Uh, it can I be think... in general. I like to use Mushroom Kingdom because then it doesn't assume anything. Ah, good, good. I, I see. I would say that um, in the first half of my life, it, life was really crazy. In my last half, um, I think I did the right things to the right in, in the to the right people. So that works for me, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> <dude>. <laughs> All right, Keith. Thank you so much for for joining us tonight and talking about. Duelist, if you could send us out by telling listeners where they can go to find out more information about the Duelist. Or, yeah. yeah, definitely check out 
duelist.com, D-U-E-L-Y-S-T, with a Y. And uh, definitely check out our Kickstarter as well. And don't forget duelist.dogestarter.co. And you guys are on, you guys are on Greenlight too, right? <laughs> we are. We are. We're, uh, we're very, very close to getting Greenlit. I think we're, we're climbing up the charts there. So any, all your votes will help us for sure. Awesome. Well, um, really glad to see that you guys are doing well. Hope you uh, continue to do well and wish you the best in the, the rest of your Kickstarter and making Blue List. And have a good night. Thank you.